Welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA players, legends, and top instructors share their stories, insights, and playing lessons. Join Chris every Tuesday night as he talks with the greats of the game. Tonight's show is sponsored by the French Lick Resort, the PGA Tour Superstore, TaylorMade Golf, the Bobby Jones Apparel Company, Two Under, Ben Hogan Golf, Golf Pride, Srixon and their Z-Star Golf Balls, and the Sandiston Resort. Now here is your host, Chris Mascaro. Hey, good evening, folks, and thank you for joining me tonight on what's going to be our final episode of the season for Next on the Tee. We'll be, uh, we'll be taking a couple of months off after tonight. We may be back, you know, periodically to do an interview or two around the PGA merchandise show in late January, but I'll be doing a lot of what I hope all of you will be doing. And that is spending more time with my family and friends over the next several weeks. And I hope you'll drink in this merry and sentimental time of the year. Think about the blessings that you have and, and the wonder that 2020 could hold for all of us. Love on those special people in your lives. Make sure they know how much you care about them. That's uh, what this time of year is all about for me. Reflection, love, family, friends. I hope it's a great season for all of you. But tonight, we're going to go out in style. I've got three fantastic guests that I can't wait to share with you. And first up is going to be former PGA Tour Pro and now one of the great instructors in the game, and that's Larry Rinker. Larry had a tremendous college career at the University of Florida. Won the SEC Championship back in 1978. We'll talk about that. He and his sister Lori paired up to win the 1985 JCPenney Mixed Team Classic. We'll talk about that as well. I'll also get his memories from being in the mix at the 1982 U.S. Open and the 92 Open Championship. Also get a playing lesson or two uh, from him to help you improve your short game. So really looking forward to having Larry with me. He'll join me in just a few minutes. Following him, I'm going to get a return visit from Ben Hogan Golf CEO Scott White. We'll hear about the tremendous year that they had there and how great the brand is doing. Plus, we'll look ahead to what they have in store for us for 2020. Scott's going to join me about 25 minutes from now. And then we'll wrap up the season with a return visit from Mitch Lawrence. Mitch has been an outstanding friend for the last several years. You hear me talking about his show, Talking Golf Getaways, every week. So we'll hear about some of the hidden gem courses that he and his co-host Darren Bunch talk about on their podcast. I'll get his thoughts on the President's Cup. And, uh, you know, plus some holiday memories. I want to go back to Mitch's childhood and uh, the time growing up and hear some of his favorite memories. So looking forward to wrapping everything up with Mitch about 45 minutes from now. So there you have it, folks. More great stories and information coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the Tee. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me tonight. Like I mentioned a moment ago, you know how much both Lawrence brothers, Mitch and Matthew, mean to me and how great their golf shows are. Please make sure you tell all your friends and continue to support both of them. Again, Mitch's show is called Talking Golf Getaways, and you can stream it online at GolfTripX.com, and that's the letter X, so GolfTripX.com. It's also available on Audio Boom, Stitcher, and Player.fm as well. Mitch and his co-host, Darren Bunch, they take you all around the U.S. and Canada to some of the great places you can go stay and play. They also let you know about some of the hidden gem courses that you may not be aware of. Again, go online to GolfTripX.com and check out their podcast. Please also check out Matthew's show. It's called Backspin Golf. Now, he's on hiatus right now, but his shows from this season are available as a podcast over on WLXG.com, and that's ESPN Radio in Lexington, Kentucky. So if you missed any of his shows throughout the year, you can go online and stream them as a podcast. Again, it's called Backspin Golf, and it's a fantastic listen. And folks, as you know, 
We are sponsored by the French Lick Resort. Let's hear from Steve Rondonera about what's going on up there. It's a Pete Dye masterpiece, the Pete Dye course at French Lick Resort. Pete says its location on one of the highest points in Indiana makes it special. The long views, you can see many 20, 30 miles from many of the fairways and many of the tees and greens, and, and you can see it in 360 degrees. Donald Ross's hill course put French Lick on the golf map more than 100 years ago. It's where Walter Hagen won the 1924 PGA Championship and the place where today's Symmetra Tour ladies battle each year. It's the ambience around it that makes the golf course. Combine our many resort amenities with legendary golf and you have a getaway like no other. French Lick Resort is the home of the Senior LPGA Championship, won in 2018 by World Golf Hall of Famer Laura Davies. Play the course's champions play. Plan your trip now, online at FrenchLick.com. Yeah, folks, go online to FrenchLick.com to see for yourself what a beautiful place they have up there and to book your stay as well. And well, folks, TaylorMade Golf has done it again. The TaylorMade M5 and M6 drivers are a tremendous story. They both feature speed-injected twist base created through a revolutionary manufacturing process where every single head, and like I tell you every week, yes, every single head is injected and calibrated to the threshold of the legal limit. So basically, every head is made to be tour spicy. Check them out online by going to tailormadegolf.com. And please check out our friends at the Bobby Jones Apparel Company by going online to bobbyjones.com. They've got their new holiday collection out right now. Their new sweaters, vests, and outerwear are all fantastic. They are where luxury textures and deep, rich colors come together in elegant ease. You're going to see Steve Stricker, Miguel and El Jimenez, and Ernie Els wearing it out on the Champions Tour. Check them all out online by going to bobbyjones.com and enter the coupon code ONTHET to save 20% at checkout. All right, now joining me here on the French Lake Resort guest line is Larry Rinker. Let me give you some background on Larry. He's from Stewart, Florida, and he's a part of a great golfing family. He and his brother, Lee, both played on the PGA Tour. His sister, Lori, played out on the LPGA Tour. She had a couple of wins on tour and regularly finished in the top 10 during the 80s and the 90s. Larry played his college golf at the University of Florida, where he took the individual medalist honors at the SEC Championship in 1978. And he was named All-SEC in 78 and 79 and an All-American in 78 as well. Turned pro in 1980. He won six times on the mini tour, and he teamed with his sister, Lori, to win the 1985 J.C. Penny Mixed Team Classic. Over the course of his tour career, he had two second-place finishes, two-thirds, and 26 top-ten finishes. He's now one of the top instructors in the game, and I'm very honored he is with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Larry, thanks for coming on the show. My pleasure, Chris. Larry, like I mentioned, you you come from a very talented family. You obviously had a great deal of success in the game. Your brother Lee going to Alabama and had three professional wins. Your sister Lori out on the LPGA Tour. Such tremendous talent and skill and passion for the game. Where did all of that come from? I think our passion came from my father, Lane, and he's passed away five years ago, but he was the one that really instilled in us the game, the love of the game, and we worked hard, and he was the one that, you know, inspired us. And I think we were all pretty good players. I was able to get a full scholarship at the University of Florida. Lori played there. Lee got a scholarship to play at Alabama. And it was my dad who, in 
1976, said, hey, let's go down and see Bob Tosky. And it was really perfect timing for me and ended up for Lori and Lee that we met Bob Tosky at that point in our careers because we really needed to meet someone that had played the game at the highest level. And now in 1976, and then Lee and I went to spend three days with him in 79, he had been teaching for probably 15, 20 years at that point. And I can say myself teaching now for about 18 years that I think I've gone through the humps and the valleys of, of becoming a good teacher that, okay, I've, I've kind of figured it out, how what I need to do to help people. And we just met Bob at a great place, and he really taught us how to play golf, how to hook it, how to cut it, how to hit it low, how to hit it high. How do you hit it out of a buried lie? And he was just really inspirational. And he also inspired us as well as our father. And so just very blessed uh, that we had the dad we had and mom and and also that we met Bob Tosky at the time we did. So, Larry, I'm imagining some tremendous Rinker family tournaments growing up. Was there a sibling rivalry? Did you guys kind of go head to head out on the golf course? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I remember when I was kind of rolling in 84 and 5, going home at Christmas and saying, I'll play Lee and Lori and my dad. I'll play all three of you. I'll play your, I'll play your best ball because I was playing pretty well. I was pretty cocky, but, but that was just a (laughs) kind of a, I can't say that now. You know, it's funny. Lee, I, I really had Lee through about 1994 and then he, he uh, played the Nike Tour that year and didn't quite make the top 10, but we both went to the Q school. He made it. I missed. And I had been exempt for 13 years in a row, and, and now I'm not exempt, and Lee's exempt on tour. And really, I have to say, honestly say, he's pretty much had my clock the last 25 years. So he, <laughs> wow. he's definitely... He's definitely been a better player than I have these last 25 years. Uh, so, um, and he's still a great player. And so pretty neat that, uh, you know, I'm very blessed to be part of a great golfing family. Larry, I want to talk about your time at the University of Florida. You mentioned being on scholarship there. And you had some amazing talent on the teams when you were there. Plus, you played against some of the greats, some guys who went on to have tremendous PGA Tour careers. Talk about the SEC championship that you won and some of the other moments and some of the other battles that stick out to you from your time there. When I was being recruited in uh, really spring of 75, the Gators were winning pretty much every tournament they played in. A couple guys named Andy Bean and Phil Hancock were just playing incredible golf. Andy won 11 times on tour. Phil won one. Really thought Phil might have a better career than Andy would on tour because Phil was a senior my freshman year, and I learned a lot from Phil. I really think uh, there's nothing better than playing with better players and learning from them, and I certainly got that opportunity as a freshman at the University of Florida to play with Phil Hancock. I also got to play with Andy Bean because he was graduating that fall uh, quarter. So. And I actually saw Andy a few days ago at the PNC Father Son at the Ritz Carlton Golf Club Orlando, where I teach October through May. And 
so University of Florida was just what an incredible team. In uh, 1975, uh, they they were ranked one or two going to NCAA. Andy broke his putter at NCAA's, and I think they finished eighth. But a, a gentleman named Fred Ridley was on that golf team. Yeah. He wasn't even in the top five, but he wins the U.S. Amateur that year. And Fred now is chairman of Augusta National, and he's he's the new czar there. Great guy. But Fred, um, that's how tough the team was, that the guy that wins the U.S. Amateur isn't one of the five starters for Florida at the 1975 NCAA Championships. That's how good the team was. And now I'm a freshman the next fall, and a lot of the guys graduated. Fred graduated, Andy graduated, then Duncan a lot of the guys, Hancock was really the last one left. So um, we had quite a few players that ended up playing the tour, Sam Trahan. Uh, we had some junior college transfers. My, uh, let's see, it been my sophomore year, we had Bill Britton who played the tour and won. Uh, we had uh, Sam Trahan come in who played the tour. Uh, and then my senior year, Mark Kalkovecchio was a freshman. We had really a deep team my senior year. We won a lot of tournaments that year. Uh, so a lot of great players. Rick Pearson had his card for a while. Terry Anton had his card. We had quite – Ken Green was a junior college transfer my senior year. Uh, had won five times on the tour. So a lot of talent at University of Florida. We really were – one of those teams like Wake or Oklahoma State or Houston, we really were kind of the top four teams for a lot of years as far as guys that ended up playing the tour and doing well. So I I got to be a part of really a great fraternity at University of Florida. And Larry, as you talk about all of the great players that you had to be, you got to be around. I mean, there's a a rich history behind Gator Golf. I mean, Tommy Aaron played there, Frank Beard, totally, later on, yeah. Chris DeMarco and Brian Gay. I mean, it's, it's like a who's who out there. Steve Melnick, you go back to Andy North, you mentioned Cal, Doug Sanders. Right. Do you guys ever get together? I'm, I'm imagining like a champion's dinner at Augusta National. Do you guys come back together and have an opportunity to interact? We just had this fall our 50th Gator Golf Day. I've was not able to make it. A lot of guys from my, from the teams, I was there 75 through 79. So a lot of my compadres went back. I ended up not being able to make it, but I know Gary Koch was there. That's another name you haven't mentioned. It's a great player. I think he won five times on tour. Great announcer with NBC. So we have quite a history of Great golf and PGA Tour winners. Bob Murphy is another name. <clears throat> so uh, Gator Golf Day was kind of the thing that we did. I remember I was a freshman and all these guys came back and played. And it was really the first time I got to meet Bob Murphy and some other Gator greats. And so, uh, yeah, a lot of history. You know, the Gator Nation, we're big. We're everywhere. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, Larry, I want to talk about some of some of uh, your success that you had out on the PGA Tour. And 
You were right in the thick of things at the 1982 U.S. Open at Pebble Beach. That's the year Watson famously chipped in from behind the green on 17 to snatch a, a fifth U.S. Open win away from Jack Nicklaus. But you were there in second place after two rounds, ninth place going into the final round. Um, talk about what do you remember being in the, in the, like I say, in the thick of things during that tournament? Well, a few things. Uh, number one, I had to go through both qualifyings. I was on tour, but I had, I was in my first year on tour and that tournament was really kind of the end of my first year on tour. I made the last spring school at, uh, Disney at the Palm Course, Payne Stewart, Calcavecchia, Clarence Rose, Dennis Watson. They were some of the people that, uh, Clarence Rose that went on to have long careers on the PGA Tour that were part of my class. That was back in the old days when we had the Monday qualifying. So making tour school just meant you were another smiling face on Monday trying to get a spot in the term. The old top 60 from the previous year got you in. The top 125 didn't start until 1983, so we're still in the old thing there. So getting in the U.S. Open, I had to go through both qualifiers, and for some reason I thought I was going to win the U.S. Open at Pebble Beach. So all my training, uh, I was a jogger doing push-ups, sit-ups. This was all before we had trucks rolling on the tour and trainers, and boy, it's it's really come full circle now. Some wow. 37 years later from 82, but I just kept, I had this intention I was going to win the U.S. Open, so I made the uh, sectionals, and then I made the regionals, and so I got there, and I did something on Friday morning at the U.S. Open I'd never done before. I shot 74 the first day. I was four back. I missed the cut. I got to somehow get my way to New York and play in the Monday qualifier on Monday and get there to play a practice round on Sunday afternoon because the next tournament was at Westchester. And I did something I'd never done. I called the airlines and said, I'm booking my flight for Monday because I'm winning the U.S. Open. And that day I went out. And I had about an eight-footer for par on one. And I said, I'm winning the Open. I made it. I went eagle birdie birdie. I finished birdie 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 that day to shoot 67, which was the low round of the Open. Lanny Watkins shot 67 on Sunday. He and I had the low rounds that year at the Open. That pole vaulted me into second place and the final pairing on Saturday, which was kind of my coming out party kind of fun. A lot of people remember that. But as a teacher now, it really talks about this whole idea of intention and commitment. I was intending for months leading up into that, that I was going to win the U.S. Open. And then when it came that morning before that second round, I was still committed to that. Committed to the point where I made that phone call because if I missed the cut and got a change my flight, it's going to cost me some money. So, and tour <laughs> players are cheap. You know, we, we like getting things for free. So, so, uh, hey, we, we wouldn't do something like that. Like I said, I'd never done it before. And I just had such a commitment. And it's interesting now, looking back, I've been a pro for 40 years now. And looking back at that, 
that I probably had the best intention and commitment I'd ever had uh, up to that point. And uh, just I had one of my greatest rounds I ever had that Friday at Pebble Beach. And I was able to, on Saturday, um, I played, I started off pretty well. Bottom line ended up Sunday. I made a double bogey on 14. I buried it in the front bunker, which was easy to do. Blake got it, hit it over the green from there. Tough shot, made double. Came off the green, and Larry Guest, who was the sports editor for the Orlando Sentinel, said, Larry, if you birdie two of the last four holes, you can qualify for the Masters. Because the Masters was top 16 at the U.S. Open in 1982. I said, Larry, I just made double. He's like, you birdie three of the last four. Well, I birdied 15. I birdied 16. I hit it four feet at 17 where Watson chipped in. I had a longer putt for par. It was so fast. I made it, and I had about a four or five footer for par in 18. I said, I'm not going to be denied this week. I made that, and I went back to where I was staying, and I ended up finishing tied for 15th, which not only got me in the Masters in 1983, it also got me in the 1983 U.S. Open at Oakmont. So it was a very memorable place. Uh, Pebble Beach is very dear to my heart. So, Larry, that sort of begs the question, as you talk about you were intending to win the Open, why? What was it about the Open or what was it that you had going on, you know, either in your game or, or mentally that said, I'm going to win this thing? I never played a golf course before like Pebble Beach where the architect and the way the golf course was, I saw every shot. Everybody's played golf courses where there's going to be a tee shot where you stand up on it and it just feels awkward. You just don't feel it. You've got to somehow pick a target and make a swing at that, but you don't really visualize the shot. Pebble Beach, I saw every shot, just the way it was laid out there right there along Stillwater Cove, there in the Del Monte Forest. I just saw every shot. First time I played it in 1981 when Nathaniel Crosby invited me to play for the first time. I just missed my card by a shot in the school in 1980 that Freddie Couples and Mark O'Meara had made. I shot 78 the first day with 39 putts. Somehow came back and almost made it, missed by one. And then Nathaniel, who's my friend, invited me to play. And I got to play Pebble Beach with Bruce Fleischer in the practice round in 1981. And I saw it for the first time. And it was the most magical place. It's the most beautiful place I've ever been. And I still say that some 38 years later. I've been blessed to go there well over 30 times. I got over 60 rounds at Pebble Beach. and. Still my favorite place on the earth. Larry, 10 years later, at the 1992 Open Championship of Muirfield, you're in the mix again, thanks to opening rounds of 69 and 68. That's the week Nick Faldo would go on to win. But uh, you and another good friend of the show, Donnie Hammond, both in the mix that week. It was uh, the best finish you had, I believe, in an Open Championship. Talk about what you remember about that week. Well, I... I got an invitation to play in the Scottish Open the week before. I'd done that in 89, and I missed the cut by one shot. So in those days, all the players rode a bus. 
So I remember riding a bus. I remember I had no rent a car. I didn't even know where I was staying. And I rode from the Scottish Open at Glen Eagles down to Muirfield and stayed at the Marine Hotel there. And it was 60 pounds a night for like Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night. It then went to 180 pounds, which at the time it the the rate was two to one. I never paid $360 a night for a hotel room at that point. Barely done that in New York City, even today. But I somehow was low open qualifier in the qualifying in 45 mile an hour winds. Donnie and I were staying together. I actually didn't even have a place to stay Monday night when I was playing and no rent a car. Wow. I, uh, we, uh, Donnie had a friend at this place called the quarter deck and he said, Hey, I got a place for you guys to stay. My luggage was in storage at the Marine hotel. And so I had a place to lay my head down on Monday night and I was in the open championship again. And Donnie and I had a great week. Donnie finished fifth. I finished a shot behind him. I finished par bogey, which 17 was playing straight down win. That's where John Cook missed two-footer. Looked like he was going to win the tournament. He missed a two-footer for birdie and bogeyed 18. Faldo birdie played the last four two under to beat Cookie by a shot. And uh, it was my best finish in a major. Donnie obviously had a great week, too. So I just remember an unbelievable week. I got to play with Jose Maria Lothabal on Saturday and Ian Woosom on Sunday. The stands were full, and there's nothing like the fans in an open championship and playing over there. It's so creative. The ground's hard. There's so many other shots you can play that you might not play here in America with the softer conditions and the higher rough. So um, I got to play in three open championships and, you know, very blessed and had a great one there at, uh, at Muirfield in 92. Larry, before I let you go, I got to get a playing lesson for our listeners and uh, our mutual friend, Tom Patry has drilled into my head over the years, short game, short game, short game. And you did a video, I believe, earlier this year about why it's important on short chip shots to take the club straight back and straight through and not taking it back on the inside. Do you mind sharing that tip? It's funny you say that because I just finished a two-day golf school with a gentleman named Bill, and that was of one of the three things I told him on a short game, especially with his shorter shots. So when you have a shorter swing, if you take the club to the inside, you do not have a long enough swing to get the club back on plane. And if the club is coming from under the plane into the ball, you're going to be shallow. And shallow means you're going to hit the ground behind the ball. And so if you're shallow, there's really not a happy ending. Because if you hit the ground behind the ball, you can chunk it, blade it, nothing good happens. So getting him to have weight more in his front foot, which was his number one thing, go straighter back and through was number two. And in his case, he also, what I see a lot of, he's a 21 handicapper. And what I see with higher handicap players is they tend to take the club too far back for the shot they have, and then they decel coming into the ball. 
So his third thing was one, feeling one-third back, two-thirds through. And I just did his video, and I noticed when he when I looked at it, his club went the same distance back and through, thinking one-third and two-thirds. But it's very important to understand if you're steep or shallow in short game. Steep means you have a steep angle of attack or the sharp leading edge of a sand wedge is digging into the ground. We watched at the Hero World Challenge, which was last week, Tiger chunked 11 shots. I believe it was four years ago. might have been five. At Alworth, he was too steep. All you got to do is hit a half inch behind the ball, and you're too steep, and you're dead because that sharp leading edge is going to chunk it, and you're going right in the earth. You want to use the bounce of the club and use a sand wedge. So Tiger was too steep. Bill today was too shallow. And so if you can figure out if you're too steep or too shallow, you can actually fix yourself. So straighter back is going to make you not shallow. Inside makes you too shallow. Your weight in your front foot makes you steeper, and you get shallow with the release of your trail arm and hand. So you want to be neutral. You want your steeps and shallows to line up. You have a steep, you have a shallow, you're neutral. That's what you want. The club head on plane is neutral. The club head over the top is steep. And like Bill today, he was under the plane, so he was too shallow. And he didn't have enough weight in his front foot. So truthfully, you want to be steep with your big muscles, with your chest and your lower body. That's getting that weight in your left or front foot for right-handed golfer. And then you want to be shallow with the throwing motion of your right hand. Unfortunately, there's a camp out there, and we got top 20 players in the world doing this, where they're pulling, turning, and trying to keep space open. I can tell you from personal experience and teaching experience, that is not reliable. What's reliable is letting the right arm and hand throw naturally like you would do throwing a baseball. So if you, if you wonder what you need to do, tee a ball up, put it forward in your stance, and hit shots one-handed with your trail hand and get the feel of what that is when you have both hands on, and that's going to help you learn how to hit pitch shots with your sand wedge. Larry, before I let you go, let our listeners know how they can listen to your show and also follow you, whether it's online or it's on social media. Well, thanks, Chris. I'm very blessed. I've, I'm now, it's been six years, I've had a radio show on Sirius XM, PGA Tour Radio, Series 208, XM 92, my show is live Saturday and Sundays, 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern. You can follow me on uh, Twitter at Larry Rinker, Instagram at Larry Rinker Golf, and on Facebook at Larry Rinker Golf. My website is LarryRinker.com, and you could sign up for my newsletter there. I do a video tip every month. And if you go to my YouTube page, just Google Larry Rinker. You can find my YouTube page. I have over 100 videos there. And uh, really enjoy being with you tonight, Chris. And uh, thanks for having me on your show. Well, Larry, it's been a huge thrill to get to spend some time with you. I hope you'll uh, come back and join me again sometime. Uh, there's so much more to get into about your career and then obviously the instruction that you do. It's been It's been fantastic. Merry Christmas, happy holidays to you and your family. Well, same to you. Merry Christmas to you and your fans out there. All the best.
I appreciate you, Larry. Take care. That's the great Larry Rinker, folks. Larry Rinker Golf. Go online and check that out and give him a follow both on Instagram and on uh, and on Twitter. And like he says, check out his YouTube page. There's a lot of great videos. Larry's been putting them up for years. It's fantastic stuff. And uh, to his point, you go back and you look at the great career he had at the University of Florida and all the great players he got to play with. Fred Ridley, right, as he talked about, wasn't good enough to make the top four at the University of Florida, wins the U.S. Amateur. And now he is the chairman of the Augusta National Club. Great stuff. I hope I get the opportunity to have Larry back on the show again real soon. All right, before I get to my next guest, Scott White, first of all, I want to give a shout out to our friends at the Ben Hogan Golf Company. Now, folks, you hear me talking about this every single week. If you haven't hit Ben Hogan iron since maybe the 80s or the 90s, do yourself a favor and get a demo iron from either their Fort Worth, PTX Pro, or Edge Irons and go out on the range and compare it to whatever it is you've got. All Ben Hogan. Woods, irons, and wedges are handcrafted one at a time in their Fort Worth, Texas factory. So no mass production, no shortcuts. Now you can get custom-made woods, irons, wedges, and hybrids by going online to BenHoganGolf.com. And they're going to build those clubs to your specification. And best of all, charge you a fraction of the typical retail price. So check out their complete line of great golf equipment, bags, and accessories online at BenHoganGolf.com. And folks, to play a ball with ultimate spin and stopping power, you're going to need physics-defying covers. With molecular bonds that stretch but don't break. And to play a ball that goes far and feels soft, you need a fast layer core with incredible feel and maximum distance. And that's what you get in the new Z-Star and Z-Star XV golf balls. And they're only from Strixon. All right, folks. Now back with me here on the French Lick Resort guest line is the CEO of the Ben Hogan Golf Equipment Company, Scott White. Scott has done an outstanding job bringing one of the most iconic brands of golf back to life. The brand is back on tour now, being played by J.J. Henry and Mark Brooks, amongst others. They've got several great lines of irons that you hear me talking about every single week on the show, from their Fort Worth irons to the PTX Pro irons to their Edge irons and the great Equalizer wedges and, and the GS53 line of woods, great drivers, great fairway woods. This year, they've added a wonderful line of putters. they got a heck of a lot going on. And I'm very excited to have Scott back with me here tonight on Next on the Tee. Hey, Scott, thanks for coming back on the show. Hey, uh, thanks for having me, Chris. Good to hear your voice again. I appreciate you. So, Scott, you, the, the, the brand has had a heck of a great year. You've introduced a lot of great new products this year. Demand has been extremely high. Talk about the growth of the brand and where things are at right now. Yeah, like you said, we've had a great year. Um you know, it's been really satisfying. It's been, been a ton of work, um, but uh, it's all been fun. We've, uh, as you said, introduced a bunch of new products, and uh, they've all been, uh, you know, successful in, in our eyes. Uh, you know, we don't, uh, as we've talked about in the past, have any ambition of, of being the market leaders in any given category, because that's really not what the Ben Hogan brand is about. But, um, you know, as we educate more and more people about, you know, what we're doing and how we're doing things differently, um, you know, selling without going through retail, um, you know, we, we see nothing but upside uh, in the future. So we're excited about 2020 and beyond. And, you know, I think we've got some, I know we've got some really interesting and great products in the pipeline that will uh, uh, delight people who love the Ben Hogan brand and maybe some that don't, but most importantly, make Mr. Hogan proud of what we're doing. And Scott, talk about the success you've had this year with the introduction of the, the GS53 driver and fairway woods and 
Talk about what sets them apart from what's out there in the rest of the market. Yeah, we did. You know, this this these products have been in the development uh, uh, pipeline for for a long time, and um, you know, we've done a lot. We did a lot of testing, um, played around quite honestly with a lot of different materials, and really, we're trying to develop a you know, a, a driver specifically for, I wouldn't say the most advanced players. Certainly we've got some tour players that are using them, but really a forgiving driver that wasn't at the maximum size. It's not, it's a 444cc driver. And, uh, you know, it's all, it's all titanium with a, it's a forged face and it's, uh, you know, it's really a, a great product. Uh, we, we've tested it against all the market leaders and find that you know, from a from a testing standpoint, whether you're looking at you know spin rates or dispersion or just overall distance, you know we're we're right up there, if it's not better than than a lot of the market leaders. Um, and so that's you know that's been a real success for us, especially when you realize when consumers realize they can buy it for three hundred dollars as opposed to you know five or six hundred dollars in a in a retail store. Um, and likewise with the fairway woods, you know, we've got the three, the the four and the five fairway wood. Uh, four is a little bit unusual, but uh, again, it's a nod to <clears throat> Mr. Hogan's legacy and uh, his use of that club for so many years. So uh, those have been fantastic as well. So it's it's um, you know it's gotten us into a new category, probably one of the largest uh, equipment categories in golf, and uh, you know it's been a great addition for us. And Scott, one of the things that I love about your philosophy around the new woods is it's simply not all about power. And, and most of us don't drive the ball 300 plus yards. We don't have that shot. We also don't have a right. 275 yard three wood shot either. What we need is accuracy. Talk about how the design of the club face helps keep the ball in the fairway more often. Yeah, that was really, really important to us. Um, you know, we, you know, obviously anybody can can make a long hitting driver. I mean, it's not hard to do. You just sort of thin the face out, and and there's you know easy way to easy ways to do to get more distance. But really, what's difficult is finding a driver or even a fairway wood that's going to put you in position for your next shot and keep you in the fairway. So our engineers spent a lot of time working on bulge and roll and the gear effects, kind of the basic stuff that's been around the, you know, wood development or metal wood development for years and years, but really fine-tuned it and perfected it so that you don't only get maximum performance when you hit it, you know, dead in the center of the square, dead in the center of the club face, but, you know, even out on the toe or on the heel, really that's what's most important is the forgiveness on mishits. you know, the GS53 fairway woods and GS53 driver um, are really, really forgiving. Um, even like all of us, especially me, when you don't hit it in the center of the, of the club face, it's it's going to get you where you want to go. Um, may not be quite as long as where you, you know, as you as you would hope, but it'll definitely keep you in play, which is most important. That's right. And and one of the other things that I love about the fairway woods, you know, when we look at a golf club, we, you know, part of, uh, um, our decision and our confidence is when we're looking down at the club, does it give us confidence that we can get the ball airborne, particularly in the fairway woods? And the fairway, your fairway woods have a low profile club face. And it's something that, um, helps us, at least for me, helps me get the ball airborne more often from the fairway. Cause a lot of us struggle with our fairway woods and hitting it off the deck. Talk about how that low profile uh, comes into play and gives us more playability. 
Yeah, with all with all of our woods, uh, whether it's a driver or the fairway woods, um, you know, we really focused on a classical, you know, Ben Hogan esque shape. We didn't want to do, you know, any of the the newer, uh, more contemporary shapes. And I think, you know, um, ours, as you said, when you stare down, you look down the shaft. You know, there has to be a sense of confidence. And so, um, you know, the fairway woods specifically, uh, very easy to get airborne. A lot of that has to do with, again, a low profile design that gets as much weight towards the, the turf as possible. Um, but it also has to do with the sole design. You know, there's very little, uh, graphics or anything that could potentially grab when you hit through the, the fairway or, or worse, the rough, um, that could turn the club head. So uh, it, it's, um, again, really easy to, to hit and also really easy to get through the ball and keep the keep the club head on line. Scott, talk about your approach to long irons and hybrids. It's It's been a minute since Ben Hogan came out with a, a new line of hybrids. Is that something that we can look forward to seeing from you guys in 2020? Uh, I don't want to tip my hand too much, but I can uh, tell you that that's uh, in all likelihood going to happen. We really look at the hybrid and the and the utility iron um, category as one. You know, really, as you just hit the nail on the head. We kind of look at them as as alternatives to long irons, whether that be a two iron, a three iron, or, or in some cases even a four iron or a five iron. So, um, you know, we spent we have spent quite a bit of time uh, over the past uh, twelve or eighteen months. You know, refining our current product line, which is great, but uh, finding ways to to make hitting those long shots between your longest iron and your your shortest fairway wood um, as easy as possible. So there are definitely some developments in that area, and uh, I would just ask you to kind of keep your eye on BenHoganGolf.com, and and uh, you know when we're ready and and we feel comfortable and confident, we'll bring those out in 2020. And Scott, I love your PTX Pro irons, and uh, I want to upgrade to the new black matte finish that you guys have because I think that look is absolutely spectacular. But what I really love about those irons is how the ball feels when it's coming off the face. Talk about what makes them different from other irons out on the market. Well, the big thing is that all Ben Hogan product, whether it's the driver, fairway woods, irons, wedges, putters, you know, whatever it is, all of our product is forged, and we just firmly believe that that forging is a superior way to make make golf clubs um you know for listeners that may not know the difference there's really two ways to make golf equipment one is well there are more than that but you know in, in most categories in iron specifically it's um you know you can either investment cast irons or you can forge them and forging is you know again much more difficult to do certainly more expensive but um it, it there are tried and true benefits to to forging it um it maintains the molecular structure of the of the metal um and that's really what leads to the you know the superior sound and feel that people experience when they hit uh when they hit forge wedges and irons it's uh it's just something that you have to experience for yourself to really understand and the best way to do that is to is to take a forged iron out onto the range and and hit it you know, next to a, uh, an investment cast club, and you'll feel 99% of people will feel and, and experience that difference right away. And Scott, you've got n- not only the, the uh, PTX Pro irons, you got the Edge irons, you got the Fort Worth irons, and you also have a great online fitting tool because that's that's something we preach a lot on this show is to go out and get fit. 
properly fit for the uh, for the right irons for your game. Talk about um, your fitting, your online fitting tool, and how that sets us up for success. Yeah, Hogan Fit is a is a great, um, for lack of a better term, app that's on BenHoganGolf.com, and will really help people. It's it's not meant to be the the end all be all when it comes to fitting. It's it's really meant to be a directional tool as much as anything else because. You know, we believe that people should go out and, and support their local PGA professional and have a fitting done so they understand their specifications and, you know, flex what, what material uh, their shaft should be and, and what flex and how long and what size grip and all that kind of stuff. But, but Hogan Fit specifically helps people understand which model iron would be best that, for them or which loft driver um, or which lofted wedges would work would complement their bag the best. It, it again provides some um, some high level direction um, for people that are just starting the the process of buying new clubs or are sophisticated buyers, um, you know, very accomplished golfers, but just want to double check and make sure that you know what they're adding to their bag makes sense. Um, you know, again, based on 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 what they're currently playing. So it's a really interesting tool. It's uh, very easy to use, very intuitive. Um, and, and really only takes two or three minutes. It's not, uh, it's not, um, you know, pages and pages and pages of questions. It's, uh, I think at the very most, depending on which uh, product category you're looking at, maybe eight or 10 questions. Got just a couple more before I let you go. And you guys also introduced a new line of putters this year. And, and when you read up on them, you learn how each putter, each putter head is forged and CNC milled. So there's no hot spots, no dead spots. Talk about the four models you currently have and what might be next for your putter line in 2020. Yeah, again, putters, you know, isn't isn't necessarily what the Ben Hogan brand, uh, you know, is known for or built upon. But, you know, we just had such a cry for people who wanted to play a full bag of Ben Hogan golf equipment. And, you know, we didn't want to do what everybody else does. I mean, that's just not what the Ben Hogan golf equipment company is about. We're really always trying to make the best product. And so we started by, you know, sticking to our roots and, and making a forged putter, which is highly unusual. There are very, very few forged um, putters on the market right right now, um, nor have there been many in the in the past just because of the expense of doing so. But, you know, these are very classical, traditional styles, um, you know, what you'd expect from, from the Ben Hogan brand. Um, but again, the big benefit of, of the way we're making them is feel. And that's most critical, um, you know, as you get closer to the green. Uh, obviously, a forged wedge is, is going to be important. But when you're on the green, you know, you want to be able to feel that, you know, that, that strike go, you know, up the shaft and kind of into your hands, as Mr. Hogan used to say. And, and that's especially true with the uh, uh, forged putter that we, uh, we recently added to the line. Scott, before I let you go, it sounds like you've got you know some things uh, to look forward to for 2020. What's got you excited about the new year? We are really excited about 2020. We um, we do have some new products, as I alluded to before. What I'm really excited about is the fact that there's definitely momentum behind what we're doing right now, and a lot of um, you know a lot of golfers are understanding that uh, you know it's it's completely acceptable and okay to, and, and and real benefit. There's a real benefit to buying golf clubs online directly from a manufacturer. You know, no retail markup and, 
you know, minimal overhead and, and other costs allow us to sell premium, high-quality tour golf equipment at about two-thirds of the price of, of any of the major competitors. So as more and more people learn about that, um, you know, our business continues to grow. And, uh, you know, again, our, we're really focused on trying to make golf as affordable for people as possible. You know, they were wanting to go out on the golf course with exceptional equipment, but you know, our hope is that they'll use some of those savings to, to take lessons or to or ultimately to play more golf. Scott, before I let you go, remind our listeners how they can stay up to date with all the great things you guys are going to be doing, whether it's on your website or it's on social media. Yeah, the best way to do it is just to log on to BenHoganGolf.com. And, uh, and from there, you can uh, see and view all of our social media feeds, uh, sign up for our email and, and newsletters, and uh, you know, it's just a it's a it's a great site. We try to keep it as fresh as possible. Um, we don't sell anything unless people visit our site. So it's the best source of information about what's going on at the company, whether it's new ambassadors, new programs, or or ultimately new products. Well, Scott, I can't thank you enough for coming out and being a part of the show tonight, and uh, and our partnership over the years. It's uh. Ben Hogan is a is a great golf company. You guys are indeed making great golf equipment. Uh, I hope uh, 2020 continues much success. I want to wish uh, everybody there and your family Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and hope uh, we get the opportunity to catch up with you again real soon. Likewise, Chris. Thanks again for all your support and having me on the show, and I wish you and, and all of your listeners a great holiday season. Thanks a lot, Scott. Take care. All the best to everybody there. We'll catch up soon. Great. That's a great Scott White. He is the CEO of the Ben Hogan Golf Equipment Company. BenHoganGolf.com is the website. You can find him on Twitter and in, on Instagram as well. And, folks, I'm telling you right from personal experience, the GS53 driver is fantastic. The PTX Pro irons, I love the feel of the ball when it comes off the face of those irons. Equalizer wedges are out, outstanding as well. I've got a Ben Hogan, the BH01 uh, putter. Here, right here in my office, and uh, I love uh, you know practicing the putt with that and getting it out on the golf course. It's uh, it's very smooth and it's balanced, so that's what I like most about it. But uh, Scott and everybody there are doing a great job. I look forward to what they're going to do in 2020, and then catching up with Scott uh, again real soon. All right, before I get to my next guest, Mitch Lawrence, I want to give a shout out to our friends over at Positive Vibes Golf. You can find them online at positivevibesgolf.com or give them a follow on Twitter at P Vibes Golf. Their head covers and putter covers are a unique way to keep your mind focused on positive thoughts. They're a great, really on-course training aid as well because they help you stay positive by putting positive, happy images in your mind. I mean, every time you walk back to your golf bag and you look at your, you know, your head covers, you're going to have a smile on your face. See why I say that by going online to PositiveVibesGolf.com and give them a follow on Twitter at P Vibes Golf. And folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends over at the PGA Tour Superstore. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. Hi, folks. When I was thinking over the last few days about this being our final episode of the season, I thought, what's the last voice? I want our listeners to hear before we take a few months off. And I thought, I want that voice to be meaningful. I want it to be insightful. I want it to be someone who has great stories. And most of all, and at this time of year, 
I want that voice to have heart and soul. And when you put all of that together, it was an easy choice. Mitch Lawrence. I've made a lot of great friends as a result of this show, but the Lawrence brothers are right at the top of that list. Mitch has been a great guest over the years. This is now, tonight's going to be his 10th appearance with me on the show. But beyond being a great guest, he's been a mentor, he's been a sounding board, he's been a friend, and I'm eternally grateful for everything he's done for me in this show. And I'm honored he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, Mitch, how are you, my friend? Well, uh, after that, Chris, I, I don't quite know how to follow that up other than to say it was when you texted me and asked if I would do the show, I answered you by saying it would be an honor. And I mean it. So thanks for having me on again and, and for your gracious words and for your friendship, which means more than all of it. I appreciate Indeed. I appreciate you very much, Mitch. So, Mitch, at this sentimental time of the year, right, we got Christmas and Hanukkah just a couple of weeks away. Curious to get your memories. What are some of your favorite holiday memories? My favorite holiday memories? Oh, that's an interesting off-the-top off the top question. <laughs> um, I don't know. I always feel like, I think my first thought is that much as I love this time of year, because it makes people hyper-aware of the things that are important in life. Uh, it also makes me realize that it's it's kind of our job to try to keep that going throughout the whole year. Um, I don't know that any really specific memories stand out from this time other than family and friends. Um, and there have been so many of them that when you get up to my age, which you'll experience hopefully sometime, <laughs> you can... <laughs> You can really start to appreciate more and more as the years go on that that it comes back to that. And whether it's for us who love golf and the memories we have on the golf course or with people that love the game the way we do, um, and I just keep going back to the same thing, which is, you know, let, let's revel in the people around us and the people we love and the games we love and the passions we have and, and try to hold on to them every day and as long as we can throughout the year till the next holiday season. So if Mitch Lawrence is putting together a Christmas or Hanukkah wish list for gifts, what's on the list? <laughs> Boy, is this for me or is this for you? No, this is for you. What, what's on Mitch Lawrence's <laughs> list? Um, I'm lucky because I uh, my wife and I were talking about this and we often do, we're incredibly lucky in that there really isn't that much on the list that we haven't or don't already have. Um, there's always places that I would love to play that I haven't played. There's always bucket list places that I would like to go. Um, I can't talk about, you know, I before we go on, I, I want to throw some weight behind your two other guests tonight, if I may. Um, I just listened to Scott White, and um, I've had experience with both Scott and Larry. Uh, personal experience, and I cannot speak highly enough of both of them. Uh, I, myself, you know this, and if anybody's listened to me on your show, know that I'm a hickory golfer, and 90% of the rounds that I play are with my hickory golf clubs. Uh, but I've also had Hogan irons and clubs over the years. Uh, when I started playing in the 80s in Los Angeles, uh, I went through a number of sets of Hogan's, which I love, and I was constantly trying to find clubs and get Hogan irons, and 
So this has been a long time affair, and recently, uh, about a year and a half ago, I had a chance to decide that I wanted to get a, a modern set of clubs and spent time on the phone with Scott and uh, was able to get some Hogan irons, PTX irons. And whenever I play the modern clubs, those are the irons that I play for all the reasons that people just heard Scott talk about. I can't talk highly enough about the clubs themselves and the process, uh, the online process, and they're they're just... It's a great company, and, and to have someone like Scott heading it and, and keeping that Hogan brand going is off the charts. So that's the first thing. Larry, I had a chance to take a lesson with Larry down in Orlando uh, a couple of years ago, and I feel the same way about him. You know, he's gone uh, against the grain in a lot of ways as far as teaching, but when you spend time with Larry, and I really urge your listeners, if you can get to him in Orlando or out west during the during the winter time, you know, the um, the time that he's out in Colorado is to really spend time with him because he will change the way you look at your swing and your game. So kudos to you for having both of them on. Um, I'm not much in the way of gifts in terms of, of golf things because, like I said, I have spent time whittling my hickory set to where I love it and having the, the Hogan stuff that I love. and um, So I'm a tough buy. I have to say it, Chris. I'm, I'm a tough buy as far as, <laughs> as gifts go. Um, and, and again, it just makes me grateful. It makes me feel so incredibly lucky that, that I can actually honestly say that. The only gift that I wish is that I got to spend more time with people that I enjoy and would love to spend time on the golf course like you. It's amazing uh, to me that we haven't yet done that. So I that's know. my that's my wish list for 2020. I can say that with all honesty is that, that this has to be the year that you and I spend some actual time on the golf course together. Well, certainly wouldn't, that's on, certainly on my wish list as well. I appreciate you. So you mentioned bucket list. There are still places, and I find it hard to imagine that there are still places that Mitch Lawrence hasn't played that he wants to play. What, what, what are a couple of courses on that list? Well, the, the great thing about the game is I don't care who you are and how much you've played. There's always places you want to play. Um, I think the the top of the bucket list for me, given, and I hate to keep going back to it, but I'm going to be 70 in a couple months. So when I get to this point in life and I go, okay, there aren't there aren't a whole lot of big trips left um, in terms of real travel, but uh, the the farthest travel that I would love to do is to uh, Australia and New Zealand. We've got the President's Cup coming up this week, and, and obviously we're going to get to see Royal Melbourne, and there's there's that part of the world is someplace I've really longed to go for a long time. Um, and the other one actually has to do with a place that, not that there aren't tons of places in the United States that I would want to go. Um, Sand Valley is actually at the top of that list, and uh, the Kingsley Club also. There's another one that I want to get to, Lawsonia Links. I could go on with that list for a while. But uh is actually to go back to St. Andrews. Um, and I've had the opportunity to play the old course a number of times in the courses at the Lynx Trust, which I love. But there are certain courses in St. Andrews and East Lothian that I haven't been to. Um, and those are the ones that, that I really, really want to get to, which are Musselboro and North Derrick and that area. So I think those would be on the top of the list right now. So you mentioned the President's Cup switching gears only slightly. Um, mm-hmm. Your thoughts on the upcoming President's Cup? 
Are you confident that the U.S. can win, or can some of this Patrick Reed controversy sidetrack the team a little? Um, I don't, obviously, nobody knows what's going to happen with this. I think the whole the, the Patrick Reed thing is is a is a real kind of hot point for a lot of reasons and for a lot of golfers. You know, on the one hand, there's the point of view that that says just let it go. He got a two-stroke penalty. He was penalized. Let it go. Stop making as much as. And with social media, it's just going to go on. Uh, I think it'll go on way past the President's Cup, actually, because he was a great player. And he's going to be a part of the conversation for a long time. I think for those of us, and as I said, you know me, I'm old school. Not just in the, the clubs I play, but in the way I look at the game, I think. And uh, I think the thing that has always drawn me to golf in terms of other sports, I love other sports. The thing that has always drawn me to it is the nature of the honor code, of the self-policing, of the, you know, how you play the game. And I think uh, relative to this particular incident, I don't think there's any question that there was, um, I don't know about intent, but there was certainly awareness of what he was doing. I don't care what camera angle you looked at. I think it was pretty obvious what was going on. He's done it before. He has a history of it, uh, going back to his college days for those who played with him. Uh, and I just, I hate the idea that it puts a stain, um, for, you know, for him. This is the way I will always look at him now. He can hit great shots, but this is the thing that I will most think of when I think of him. And I hate that it's taken away from the, the other aspect of the President's Cup, which is a great team match. Great players getting together on an unbelievably iconic golf course that most people don't get to see. Uh, and that's the part that I kind of feel badly about. Whether How the teams respond, we won't know until this week because these guys are all so great. And there'll, there'll be a storyline at the end of the week that's going to be compelling because of the nature of match play. And I every time I watch a match play event, whether it's the Ryder Cup or this or the Solheim Cup, I go back to it. I think it's the greatest format for golf. I always have. Uh, I think it brings out the best in golfers and the most compelling drama in a match. And uh, that's the part that I'm going to focus on and look forward to. So however they decide to skirt the Patrick Reed issue, there'll be some talk about it. But I think it'll be at the beginning of the, the matches. Uh, they'll have to bring it up because the world forces them to. But once the matches get underway... Uh, you've got so many great players, young and old, and you've got two captains, and you've got Tiger being a playing captain. There's so many storylines that I'm looking forward to. I think it's going to be great. So, Mitch, when you think about Tiger being a playing captain, from all the stuff that we've heard over the years um, from a Ryder Cup captain and obviously here in the President's Cup captain, there's a lot that goes on into putting this grand event together. Captain's involved in a lot of things. It's the behind the scenes stuff. It's all the media stuff. It's all the, the team meetings. It's, it's all of the, you know, down to the, the apparel stuff and, and the sponsors and all that stuff. And now Tiger also being the captain of the team is going to be out there playing. How much do you think that something like is it? We know Tiger's got an incredible mental approach and in, in everything that his dad did to him growing up so that he would concentrate and all those sort of things. But it's got to be a lot weighing on his mind. Do you think you can put, can you play good golf and focus on your match when you've also got all the sort of ancillary stuff eating at you throughout the day? Well, I, I don't think there's anybody more qualified to do that than Tiger. 
Uh, and there have obviously been great playing captains over the years, but I, I don't, I literally don't know that there's anybody who can compartmentalize it more than he can. When you look at the, just go back to the tour championship and then the masters and, um, he wasn't dealing with the uniforms, obviously, <laughs> or players lodging. But when you think about what he did under the pressure and the spotlight of what was going on at the time, during those events, I, to me, this is, this is nothing compared to that. Literally nothing compared to that. Um, so I think it's, I think, again, if there's anybody who's qualified to do it, it's him. I think once he gets to the first tee and he puts the ball on the peg, he's, he's Tiger. He's the competitive Tiger. He's not the captain. There may be a part of him that's going to be interested in what other guys are doing out there. But the great thing about golf is you have some time between shots to kind of figure it out. And once he needs to do what he needs to do, I don't expect anything different, which is amazing to think about, if you really think about it. At this point in his life, at 44 pretty much, and given what he's done, that we're still talking about him on the competitive level this way is mind-boggling. So I think I think it's going to be great to watch, and I think you can certainly handle it. And I think if if they're one person that, that the other players want to play for, I think it's really going to be him. I also have to say, though, that I, I, I love the international team, too. I love the feel of that team. I love Ernie being the captain. Um, you know, the matches, which were once completely one-sided, got close again. Uh, you've got older guys like Ustase, and um, you've got people on that team that can that can do some damage, too. So I think this is going to be one of the most compelling Ryder Cups, uh, President's Cups that we've seen in a long time. And Mitch, I talk about uh, your show, Talking Golf Getaways, with our listeners every week because you do, you and Darren both do such a great job in keeping us informed about great golf courses around the country, a lot of the hidden gem courses that we're not aware of. And uh, you guys do such a great job with all of that stuff. But when I think about you putting together sort of a dream podcast, if you had an opportunity to put a, a round table together, of greats of the game, whether, you know, they're alive or dead, you know, guys from, guys and gals from this time or a previous time. If you could do sort of a, a dream roundtable podcast, who would be there? Oh boy. I need time to think of these answers. <laughs> How much time do you have? <laughs> <laughs> Next time I'll send this them in. This is not a man. simple, this is not a simple question, Val. This isn't like me saying I want to go out with you and my brother and just hit some balls. <laughs> um, uh, who would I who would I want at the table? Um, well, given that we're talking golf getaways is about going to places and experiencing great golf and different courses and architects and that kind of thing, as well as just the joy of the game. Um, I think, and I'll just step back into history because that's where my mind goes first. Um, and I would probably put together people who were who were not only great players, but designed some of the courses that we all love. Obviously, Donald Ross would be on that list. Bobby Jones would be on that list. Alistair McKenzie would be on that list. I'm just sitting, picturing this table now <laughs> with these people, <laughs> these people sitting around it. Um, I would have... One of my favorite people on the planet who I got to experience in person this past year on one of the great trips I'll have taken was David McClay Kidd, um, who was also a really good player and, and 
guy I consider to be one of the really important architect voices and, and minds in the game right now after our trip to Gamble Sands this past year and other things he's done. Um, this is this could be the biggest table you've ever had if I could keep going. Because it would Please. be Ben Crenshaw, it would be Bill Corr, um, it would be uh, Keith Reb and Riley Johns from from the work they've done over the last few years. And they're guys that have, in my mind, changed the way we're starting to look at designing resorts and destinations. Um, I think that's a pretty good list to start. I would have Harry Gordon there just because I love Harry Gordon. I would have James Braid there. I would have the old guys there. I think those are the ones that I really miss the most. <laughs> then I throw in a couple of writers like Bernard Darwin and Herbert Warren Wind and people like that. These are all old people. So. Yeah, well, I'm sure I'm leaving people out that I'm going to regret later, but off the top of my head, those would be a good table. So to your point about all the, you know, older folks, you know, that not too many listed there that are still uh, out there alive and kicking. Um, is the game to you, is the game more interesting when you're looking back at history for some reason, whether Mm -hmm. it's course design from that time? Uh, obviously being a big hickory enthusiast because of the golf equipment and the way it was or the characters of, of the people that you put on that list. Is it, is it different or better in your mind from what we have now? Uh, I think it is. I think it was. Um, and, and it doesn't mean that we don't have great stories and great people in the game now. You know, it's full of them. It's just that the game was so different back then. Now it's, it, there's so much money involved worldwide. It's such a global game. But back then it was the people that tended to be involved, whether they were players or club makers or they were fanatically passionate about the game when it was not incredibly popular and there wasn't tons of money in it. They were really people who who did it and played it and designed courses for the love of doing it. If you go back to all of them, whether it's old Tom Morris uh, designing courses and traveling by wagon and boat and, you know, this was, they didn't get on a, a wheels up or a net jets and just fly to the next destination, spend a couple of days and design a golf course. Uh, so I'm drawn to those stories more, I think, than I am now. And what I love about some of the people that I mentioned, and I, I absolutely left people off that list of modern, uh, guys who are involved in the design now. Uh, but I, I look back at those players and those people and just try to imagine myself back there when there was, there was a lot more kind of character involved in, in what was going on. And I think that's the part that I'm really drawn to because to me, the soul of the game is that. And it still remains that if you really get into it. I think that's why we're drawn to trips to Scotland and Ireland and England and to get back to that kind of the essential part of the game that draws all of us to it. I don't care who you are. Uh, there's some part of that, that that gets in our soul and we have trouble letting go of it. So I would I would I would say if I if I were time traveling it would be back there for sure. Mitch, I want to talk about a couple of things that I saw that you posted recently out on Facebook and uh, there was one earlier today recommending a book titled Golf Kitchen. 
and a comment from the author, uh, Diane DeLucia, uh, would suggest that maybe you and your wife, Ava, contributed a recipe or two to that book. Is that right? <laughs> well, I don't know that we contributed a recipe. I know that we've tried some of the ones in Diane's book. But um, Diana, she, this is really, for people who aren't familiar with Golf Kitchen, uh, if they just Google it, you'll find it. It's one of the truly great books that I've come across. And uh, Diana is one of the wonderful people that we have in our game who started out doing food photography and then kind of got on a very high level, really high level, and then got involved um, with the game of golf and decided to get involved with the chefs that are at a lot of the golf uh, the private clubs around the world, um, and put together this unbelievable coffee table book, which brings together the history of really iconic clubs from all over the world. So you can learn about the game in those clubs. And then the chefs that have taken the culinary art of, of golf course cooking to a whole different level and give you recipes that they have. And her photography is in there. And it's just a beautifully put together book. And, you know, it's something that we had, Ava and I had a chance to spend some time with Diana here. Uh, she was doing something down in Kiowa, and we went down. It's just a fantastic project. And she's involved in a lot of great charitable causes, and, and it's all the kind of on that side. If you like golf and you like food, which I think most of us do, I'm pretty sure, <laughs> um, it's, it's, really, it's really a great book. And my wife, as the cook in the family, could come up with a lot of recipes that I think could go in that book. I have maybe one that I could put in that book. And it's, trust me, it's not on the level of anything that's in that book. It's just the only one I could contribute. <laughs> Mitch, you also posted a story about a dog named Ace and your first and only hole-in-one. Do you mind sharing that story? Uh, yeah, sure. If you want me to get emotional, I will. Um, Ava and I were playing, we lived in Charlotte at the time, and we were playing on a Thursday afternoon. We went out to a course we played regularly, which was called the Charlotte Golf Links. And we were on the sixth hole. We were just playing by ourselves, riding around in a cart. We were on the, had played six holes. I was playing really well for a change. Um, and we got to the seventh tee, and uh, the Golf Links had a lot of tees that were marked by high reeds and things around the tee boxes and there was a dog standing on the tee when we got there a little red kind of looked like dachshund fox mix and just standing there and we both of us being dog lovers we went up to the tee we started talking to and playing with the dog a little bit and hit shots it was a par three and got in the cart after we hit our shots and it was an uphill par three and rode up to where the green was and Dog came running up to the green and ran around the green and put his his nose in the cup and unbelievably cute and we went back to the cart got in the cart and the dog follows us into the cart kind of jumped in the cart so we just kept him in the cart uh, played the eighth hole and I'll get specific since anybody listening to this is obviously a golfer got to the eighth hole and a par five and I snap hooked the drive into the wood didn't hear any sound hit a provisional ball, went out, and my first ball was in the dead middle of the fairway. And we, were, Ava and I were kidding around, and I said, it must, it's got to be the dog, because that ball did not hit a trick. Then hit a three-wood and an eight-iron to about two feet, um, 
and just kind of got back in the cart. And Ace is now firmly ensconced in the cart and got to the ninth hole, uphill par three, 167 yards. And I hit a shot, and as we all do, and this was, I started playing in 1980. Uh, so I'd been playing for a while, didn't have a hole in one. And the ball was going right at the pin and couldn't see the bottom of the flag. And, you know, I said, go in the hole. And then Ava hit her shot. We got in the cart and Ace was in my lap. And Ava got out of the cart and said, aren't you coming up? And I said, I'm not getting up. Ball's in the hole. And laughing. And Ava went up to the green. And as she was walking or she started walking, I said, ball's in the hole. We're keeping the dog. And she went up to the green, and she looked in the hole, and she started jumping around. And it was and remains the only hole-in-one I've had in 40 years of playing golf. And needless to say, we took the dog home, put some signs up to make sure it wasn't somebody else's, and called him Ace, and he was in our lives for a whole lot of years and one of the great companions we've ever had. So I, as I said in that post, Chris, I don't care if I ever have another hole-in-one, because that that was a pretty special one. Yeah, I imagine it was. What a great story. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. So, Mitch, as we wind this down and you look ahead to 2020, what uh, what do you and Darren have coming up on Talking Golf Getaways? What's on your plan uh, for the at least the early part of next year? Well, we're we're obviously excited to do more trips. Um, we had some great ones this year and I got to go to some wonderful places. Uh, I think we're actually going to be going back to Gamble Sands, um, in the spring up in Washington state, uh, which I, I can't recommend highly enough to your listeners. If they, it's a big trip. It is a big trip. It's not one you take lightly, but I can guarantee that if you make it out there, it's everything that you would expect from a great golf destination. Um, so we're going to be doing that again. I'm hoping to get out to Rams Hill Golf Club out in Southern California. Darren's doing a lot of work with them. Fantastic kind of desert golf course, Tom Fazio design. Um, so we're going to be going out there. And we'll be doing, as the year goes on, we're going to be planning more uh, listeners' trips. We went to Sweeten's Cove this year with a fantastic listeners' trip. We had 24 guys that came out and spent three days um, in South Pittsburgh, Tennessee. You and I have talked about that, and, uh, the fabulous nine-hole golf course that King Collins built there. Uh, so we've got stuff coming up, and obviously a lot of great podcasts coming up, too, as we continue to talk about what we love, golf and travel. That's what it's about. So remind our listeners again how they can stay up to date with uh, when you're posting things, some of the articles that you guys have out there. Uh, on the website, and then plus uh, how they can follow you on social media as well. Okay, well, uh, Golf Trip X, the letter X dot com, is the website where you can find everything. That's that's got all of it right there. Uh, social media wise, uh, Golf Trip Experts on Twitter and Instagram, at um, Mitch Lawrence on Twitter and Instagram, and you can follow Darren too at Golf Getaways on Twitter and Instagram. So there's always a lot of information, and and if you go to the website at golftripx.com, you'll see there's so much stuff on there between fabulous articles, and we've got a great writer in Eric Hart, photography by Brian Orr. Darren's got a great, you know, list of stuff that he's written, and then the podcasts, and we're we're over 150 now. So there's a lot of 
a lot of content on the site for people who just want to have some fun and listen to some some good golf podcasts. They're fun. You have to admit, Chris, we have fun. Indeed you do. It's a great golf podcast. That's why we, we enjoy uh, listening and also promoting it as well, because we wouldn't if it wasn't great, and it certainly is great. And speaking oh, of I can't thank you enough you. for that, too. I really, I really can't thank you enough for that, Chris. You've always been a big supporter, as I am, of your your wonderful work. So thanks for that. Absolutely. Mitch, thank you so much for taking time out of your night. And uh, a huge thrill for me to get to kind of wrap this season up uh, with you. No one better to do it. And I can't thank you enough for being here. Well, as I said, it's an honor, man. It's an honor. I really appreciate you. And uh, I know all your listeners do, too. So thanks. Here's to some great golf and some great travel and some great fun in 2020. And I guarantee you, I will see you soon. I'm certainly going to hold you to it. I can't wait for that. Okay. Mitch, right. uh, happy holidays to uh, to you and your lovely family. I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Thanks. Back at you, pal. See you, Mitch. That's a great Mitch Lawrence, folks. It doesn't come any better than that. Um Mitch, like I say, and I mean it with all my heart, he is a, um, a great friend and had been a great mentor and a great sounding board and, and done a whole lot behind the scenes to help me in, in more ways than I can count. And I can't thank him and uh, certainly his, his brother Matthew as well for all of their support over the years and what they've meant to me. Um, Talking Golf Getaways is a great podcast. Go check it out online. You hear me talk about it every single week. And uh, also, uh, you know, Matthew's great show as well. So please support both of them and uh, tell all your friends about it as well. They're uh, they're great individuals. All right, folks, it is time for me to put a bow on this season of Next on the Tee. My sincere thanks go out to Larry Rinker, Scott White, and Mitch Lawrence for joining me. Please check out our website, nextonthetee.net. You'll be able to check out our, our new guest schedule when we're back. And like I say, I expect that... Uh, We'll be back sometime in the February time frame. We uh, will have a couple of other interviews, I'm sure, uh, speckled in between now and then. But uh, check out our website. You'll be able to stay up to date with what we're doing. You can also stream this show as a podcast on a lot of great sites, particularly Podbean. We appreciate their partnership very, very much. Download the Podbean app. You'll be able to take us with you everywhere you go. We're also available on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audioboom, launchpaddm.com and player.fm as well. Folks, I wish you a very Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays to you and yours. I hope all of your dreams come true. Until next time, hit them straight, my friends. You've been listening to Next on the G with Chris Mascara.